0: Conference was so great. Um, in fact, I saw somebody that I knew whenever I was in high school. Um, there were so many people there, and I saw this guy, and I was like, no way. And I'll tell you how I remembered him, but this guy was a senior whenever I was a, a freshman. But fast forward, whenever um, I became a senior, I graduated in a crazy year. I graduated in the year 2020. Do we got any COVID grads out there? There we go, there we go. A few, but um, we're, we're very important. We're the most important, I think, S- Sorry. Anyway, so I see this guy, and I remember this thing that he did at my graduation that was really very interesting. So I'm sitting there. Uh, all of us just got our diplomas. Uh, anyway, context. We got moved from a big old inside um, convention center to our high school football field for COVID. We're spread out six feet apart, and everyone just got their diplomas so that we're almost done. Like, I'm about to throw my hat up in the air. I'm almost done. I'm sitting there out of nowhere, this guy that I see at conference hops the fence and runs into the middle of the field in nothing but a ski mask and periwinkle drawers and throws up a big breakfast club arm and then just runs off. I'm like, no way that this guy that was at my graduation that was in his drawers and a ski mask that jumped over the field in the middle of the ceremony is here at Young Adults Conference. But I thought that was just so cool. But I remembered, I just remembered him from his past. In some way, does anybody remember the first time they went home um, from college? Anybody? There we go, there we go. Um, not people that live like maybe 20 minutes, people that live like three or four hours to where you don't go home as much. One of the first times I went home, it was spring break of my freshman year, and I'm sitting in a Texas staple, Waterburger, which is coming to the Missouri State. I'm so happy. Yeah, there's a couple cheers. Um, we're sitting in a Whataburger. I'm sitting with my friends Tristan, Keaton, and Cash. We're having a good time, and in walks this guy that I knew in high school as well. This guy was—he uh, was one of the football captains. He was um, as jacked as Hulk, but he was a shorter guy. And I remember one time in middle school, this guy chased me down in football practice, and I thought I was like outrunning the Roman army or the Roman Empire or something like that. I was scared out of my mind. But in walks—he walks in through the doors, and nothing but the freshman fifteen and the party gut is all I can focus on. Like this man who I thought was jacked—he was chasing me down, like. Four years prior, is now someone that is out of shape, but I remembered him from his past. Lastly, I was this past Christmas break, I was with my friend Tristan and my little brother, we're getting him a game, and we're walking out of GameStop, because every 10-year-old loves GameStop, and we see my friend Tristan's ex-girlfriend. Now, seeing your, your friend's ex-girlfriend is already awkward enough whenever they're not there, you're just like, hey. My condolences, I'm sorry, Like I I don't know what to do. But seeing them with your friend is like 10 times awkward, especially if they dated. Um, Jake and my cousin used to date, and so that was an awkward interaction once I invited them both to the same place, not knowing they were there. Anyway, so as they're talking, they're having like real small talk, and all I can think of is how this girl treated my friend in the past. And I think it really like starts to beg the question of do you feel defined by your past? Just like how I remembered all those three people by their past, it started to make me think of something in my past do people remember me by. Maybe you were known as the party kid who who was always down to party, drink, do drugs, all that stuff. Or maybe you were the popular kid that always just wanted attention. You just wanted to be where everything was at. Or maybe you were the the mean kid. You're kind of a bully. You weren't nice to people. Maybe on the whole other end of the spectrum, you're the completely innocent kid. And that's how you think People perceive you now based on your past. And maybe a follow-up question. Do you ever feel like you could overcome that? Do you feel like you can ever escape how people used to know you? And I think as Christians and I think as believers of Jesus, people that have followed Jesus, it's something that sticks in our mind more frankly than we think. I think we also start to think about how people view us of the things that they don't know about. The things that they, they never have seen. They've never seen the hurt, the struggle, the abuse, the behavior. They've never seen those things. But you start to think that people view you in light of those things. And I think based on all of this, we start to create limitations in our head. Limitations that define us saying, man, now that I'm in Jesus, but based on my past, I'll never be able to do anything I will never equate to be the person he wants me to be. I'll never be able to serve in a way that is worthy of what he's called me to do. But I just want to tell you tonight that that is not Jesus' plan. That's not God's plan for you. He loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to overcome your past. He's not wanting you to stay where you're at. He's wanting you to grow. He's wanting to realize that there's someone that loves you so much that he sent his son for you. And I think in Mark chapter 5, we see this very evident that someone's past is overcame. And we see that that past now becomes his purpose. So if you have your Bibles with me, would you turn to Mark chapter 5? And while you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of context as to what is going on. In Mark chapter 5, we're going to see the story of the gerasene demoniac, And this is recorded in two other Gospels, Matthew 8 and Luke 8. But I like Mark's version because it's a fast-paced account, and that's what Mark is kind of known for. Mark is the fast-paced account of Jesus' ministry all the way to him ascending into heaven. And just setting the scene, the chapter before, in chapter 4, Jesus is on one side of the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, who he just called, and he decides, hey, let's go to the other side of the lake, to the region of the Gerasenes. And this is not a short trip. So on average, this would have taken homeboy probably around six hours to cross over the lake. So they get in the boat and Jesus is out, night, night. He's there asleep while his disciples are sailing the boat and out of nowhere, a storm erupts. And actually, the Sea of Galilee is known for this. Uh, because of the terrain, it, storms can come over real quick like that and they can be some of the most violent storms they've ever, that not I've ever been in. I'm from Texas, I've never been in a big storm. <laughs> But the storm comes, and the disciples are scared. And what's funny is the disciples are career fishermen. Like, isn't that not like a paradox? They spend time on the water. They've probably spent a good amount of time on the Sea of Galilee, and they're now scared for their lives, thinking that they're going to die because of the storm. So they wake Jesus up, and Jesus comes up, wakes up out of the boat, and in one phrase, three words, he says, peace, be still, the winds and the waves stop, and it said. some translations say that the waters were still. My favorite part of fishing is whenever the waters are still, it's like five o'clock in the morning, there's no waves. I get really scared of waves, waves scare me. So anyway, they're, uh, they're, on, the, they're on the boat and it's still. Jesus rebukes the disciples a little bit, saying, where's your faith? But the disciples are less saying, who is this man? This man can, even the winds and the waves obey him, and that sets us up for where we're going to be right here in verse 1 of chapter 5. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tomb to meet him. This evil, this man lived in the barrow caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into shackles as often as he was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him day and night. he wandered among the burial caves in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. I just want to pause right there as soon as Jesus gets to the garrison's like if i 'm a disciple i 'm confused i 'm scared like I just was in the storm and as soon as we get to the other side, this man with an evil, this man possessed is coming to Jesus. The next few verses go on to explain how crazy, I say crazy, how possessed this man is. He's shackled, he's living in a tomb which is representative, representative, there we go, sorry, of an unclean place living with the dead and he's in pain cutting himself. We see that this man is out of control. He's outcasted by society, and he's in deep pain. And what's real interesting is that some commentaries say that this is a representation of us. That at one point or another, we're all living with evil inside of us that cause us to be outcast. Violently out of control because there's going to be people in our lives that try to control us and tame us. And we're going to be in deep pain because of the sin that's living inside of us, just like this man. And it's crazy to see that sometimes we can't acknowledge this evil inside of us. At one point or another, we all lived with this, even if it was before Christ or now, that there's evil in this world, and it's to do because of what lives inside of us. You you want an example? In my hometown, somebody that I went to high school with just sold fentanyl to a kid. And somewhere in Indonesia, 130 people died in a riot over a soccer game. Like, there's evil in the world, and it's because it possesses us. That evil controls us. And I think if we want to see truly how our past becomes our purpose, we have to understand what Jesus does with us. And despite the evil inside of us that causes us to be outcasted, out of control, and in pain, Jesus seeks us. It's not a random thought that Jesus on one side of the Sea of Galilee wants to cross over to another. One side that knew him as Messiah, knew him that he was the coming Savior, to a place that had no clue who he was. It's not a random thought that he, he knows that there's going to be a storm that arises and knows who exactly he's going to meet on the other side. Like, Jesus is intentional, and he seeks those that don't know him. He seeks those that are lost. If we, read the, if we were to read the Gospels, we see in so many places that the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. At one point or another, like I just said, we all had that evil inside of us, meaning that we all were being sought by Jesus at some point. So despite that past that you don't like, despite that struggle that you maybe even carried over your past, or maybe even that thing that no one knows about you that you let define you, Jesus sought you through that. I think it's a beautiful thing to acknowledge that this man, as possessed as he is, as society has written him off, Jesus came to the other side to seek him. Verse 6. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of that man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion because there's so many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirit begged him again and again not to send them into some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirit begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water." Like I said, whenever we were talking about some of the context and the disciples were in the boat asking who is this man, I think it's a funny thought to acknowledge in verse six, that, or seven rather, that these, evil, these demons knew exactly who Jesus was. The evil that was causing this man to go past his endurance knew exactly who this was, but these disciples couldn't catch a clue. They didn't know that he was the son of the most high God. He didn't know that they came to seek and save us. These demons inside of the man, like I just said, torture this man past endurance, and then they ask Jesus, take it easy on us. I think that's so funny in a sense that the evil inside this man knows how powerful Jesus is. But I think we often forget that once we put our faith in Jesus and we are changed by Jesus, we forget how powerful it is to change our past. In fact, we forget how powerful it is to make our purpose over our past. And then next, I this is the hard one of the weirdest things I think I've ever read in Scripture. I've read this story whenever I was first a little kid, and I was so sad for these pigs. I was like, "Why, why is someone sending demons into pigs?" Like I, I was, I grew up a bacon kid, so I just I was in love with these things. But I think like we got to acknowledge it. In each of the accounts of that it talks about the garrison demoniac, it always talks about the pigs. And I think it includes that because it really happened. And I think it really happened so that Jesus could show how powerful he is over this evil. Moving on to verse 14. Then the herdsmen fled to a nearby town in the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and the man saw And and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed, perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. Verse 17, and a crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. I think next, if we want to see how our purpose overcomes our past, we got to realize that Jesus changes us. Scripture says that this man who was once naked, living in a tomb, couldn't be controlled or shackled and cutting himself, living in pain, is now fully clothed and perfectly sane. Another translation says he's in his right mind. Whenever Jesus gets a hold of someone that possesses evil, it's going to leave them different. Whenever Jesus got a hold of you, even though that evil that was inside of you, it left you different whenever you put your faith in him. And maybe you've accepted Jesus and you accepted him at an early age and a lot of that stuff that you dealt with that you're scared that defines you came after and you're still letting that that same evil control you, forgetting that Jesus has changed you but also he's gonna forgive you. I think real important whenever we're talking about change, we think change should happen overnight. That it's an instant thing and that we're always gonna be different but I think reality is that we're human. Like I said, we all possess this evil that's inside of us. And that evil is obviously going to go away whenever we accept Jesus, but it's always going to creep back into us. And I think we have to understand verses like Philippians 1 6 that he who began a good work within you is going to continue that work until the day Jesus returns again. When someone goes from being controlled by evil to perfectly sane, it causes people to notice. I remember. One of the first few I don't go home too often just because I live all the way in Texas. Any Texas people out here? The few, the proud, the many. Anyway, the first time I went home, I had gotten a tattoo, and I remember, I'm used to it, so I'm wearing T-shirts. So I'm not trying to hide it or anything. And I go to my grandparents' house. I walk into my, grandma's, my grandparents' house, and my grandma sees me. She goes, oh, you didn't. I'm I thought, like, she was going to say, like, oh, you cut your hair. Like, something sweet like that. She goes, you got another tattoo. Yes, I did, Grandma. <laughs> she, she looked at me, and she goes, she looks at it, examines it. She goes, Corky, and my grandpa, look at this tattoo. She looks at it, and she goes, no more. I'm like, can't promise you, Grandma. But I think she noticed whenever I changed something about me, whenever I got that tattoo, she noticed the difference In a similar sense, whenever this man is not crazy anymore, whenever he's not violent, he's not living in a tomb, he's not naked, he's fully clothed, insane, and in his right mind, people are going to notice. It says in verse 14 that immediately the herdsmen fled to the nearby towns to go tell people what had happened. And in verse 15, whenever they saw what happened, they were all afraid. I think oftentimes people are going to notice that we've changed. They're going to realize we're not down for that same party. We're not down to go do that drug or drink that drink. We're not down for that relationship that we shouldn't, shouldn't be in. And we're not going to be struggling with some of the same things that we once were because we've realized that we've been changed. Whenever you accept Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit who starts producing the fruits of the Spirit within you. Love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth. And people are going to notice that. I think so often we get scared that people are only going to remember us because they're never going to realize that we changed until they see us again. They're going to notice that something is different about you. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Verse 19, but Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he's been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns, the Decapolis of the region, and began to proclaim the great things that Jesus has done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. I really do believe firmly that a lot of people in the Decapolis, the region of the Gerasenes, all the ten towns, knew who this man was. There's no way that there's someone who's naked, can't be shackled, living in a tomb, and cutting himself and shrieking is not known. But now he has the opportunity to get into Jesus, and Jesus says no. And what sounds like bad news to this guy is actually great news for the people that he's going to get to go share his story with. This leads me to the last thing. If we want to realize how our purpose is over our past, Jesus invites us into his mission. As people who have been sought, changed, and invited to join Jesus in his mission, we are called to show people how we've been changed. This man was once demon-possessed, and he didn't just... Continue with life as if nothing happened. He went around and showed people how this is how I was before. I was naked, but now I'm clothed. I was crazy, insane, violent, and now I'm sane in my right mind. Like he showed people the before and after. And I think this is the point that often we really don't just sit and accept it, we accept Jesus. But sometimes it doesn't move us as much as we should, and we don't realize that He's called us into a mission. We forget often that the same things that we struggle with, other people struggle too. I mean, like, who's that person you used to party with? Who's that person that you always wanted to be popular with? Or who's that person that you were mean to? Or who is that person that maybe they were innocent as well? Or maybe who is that person that shared with you what they were struggling through and what hurts and pains and abuses and bad behaviors that were plaguing them? Guys, you've been given an opportunity to share your Savior through your past. Your purpose does not have to define your past. Rather, Jesus invites you into his mission so that your purpose defeats your past. I think we see so many times, we see someone that has changed by Jesus, but we don't see him share it. God never intended for your past to cause you to live in fear. He never wanted you to be defined by it. He wanted to use your past. In Ephesians two, it says that you were once dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in our hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and the inclination of our sinful nature. Another translation says, controlled by our evil desires. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. You were dead in your sin. Whenever we were being controlled by evil, you were dead in your sin. You weren't going nowhere. Your past and this evil controlling you was only going to lead you for it to control you for eternity. Ephesians 2, 4, but God who is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead in our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead and it's only by God's grace that you've been saved. Jesus sought you. Jesus changed you and Jesus invited you into this mission. It's not, as we, if we were to keep reading in Ephesians 2, it's not anything of our own doing. It's a gift. Ephesians 2.10, and because of all that, in light of all that, we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we, the good things that he planned for us long ago. Even though your past is broken and you're not proud of it, Now that you've been changed by Jesus, you're God's masterpiece, his poetry in the Greek. Created new in Jesus whenever he changed you for the good things God had planned for you. And I really do think some of the good things that God has planned for you is to share your past with others. It might sound like one of the hardest things, but there's purpose and there's reason in it. First Peter 2, nine, but you're not like that for you are chosen people royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. The demoniac, this guy was in his darkness. He was controlled by evil. He was in the dark. If Jesus didn't seek him, change him, invite him into his mission, I truly believe that he would have spent eternity in hell upon his death. But, God called him out of the darkness through Jesus. And I think it's so cool that no matter what our story is, no matter what our past is, the things that we're insecure about because of what we did in our past, God still called you out of darkness into the light so that you can show others the goodness of God. And I think truly this represents what happens in the story of the demoniac. Jesus has overcome evil as we just saw so that your purpose defeats your past. So think of some great examples of people in the Bible that did this is the Apostle Paul. If we read Acts, we see very early on that he's killing Christians, that he's trying to end the, the spread of the church. He's not wanting the church to grow and prosper. But Jesus sought him and he's met on the Damascus, road to Damascus and he's changed. Now he realizes that God invited him into his mission. And we see if we were gonna read all of Paul's letters, it's a common theme to see that he uses his past to share how good and powerful Jesus is. Back home in Granbury, Texas, where I'm from, I have a friend named Josh. In middle school, we were good friends and then from probably my freshman year to my junior year, fell out of touch, no contact. But my senior year, we got back together in in college. We're friends now, great friends now. But in middle school, not even kidding, I've seen this guy with my own eyes out of nowhere. Just because of what one thing someone said to him, he would just violently get out of control and just start in fights just real quick. It could be like that. It'd snap. He was out of control. He's soon, talking to him about his story, he was just invested in drugs, alcohol, sleeping around. But somewhere between that communication gap where we didn't talk for long for very much often, he was changed by Jesus. Jesus saw him, changed him, and then invited him into his mission. Now Josh is back in Granbury, the same place where I've seen him get in fights, do drugs, hang out with girls that he shouldn't have drink. He's now getting to tell youth kids and people about his story to share Jesus. He understands the things that could have defined him, could have limited him, are the opportunities he gets to share the one who called him out of darkness and into light. And I think if we really are going to escape our past, not escape it, I should say, but rather embrace our past for our purpose, we've got to realize that God has called you out of darkness into light to proclaim the goodness of him.